Hey, Don. Hello, Zach. This week, we have a very special guest. This is the largest podcast we've ever done before, and it's a family affair. We have the Sweat families. We have our friend Chad Sweat, former teacher and colleague of ourselves, and then we also have his brother, AJ Sweat, an instructor of the building trades, also a licensed builder, and we have their father, Bud Sweat, a mason contractor and also a former instructor of the building trades, and they're all here to talk about an article that you sent me from The New Yorker. And the article is all about the future of 3D printing houses and some people thinking maybe this is how we're going to build our houses in the future. And here's the best paragraph I read. When I heard that you could 3D print a building, I imagined something akin to a Star Trek replicator, a machine that would whirl briefly and then spit out a fully formed house. The actual process is messier and more laborious. And at the moment, it is largely used to construct walls, while conventional methods are used for foundations, floors, roofs, and finishes. But walls are among the most costly and labor-intensive aspect of home building. And in the majority of newly built U.S. homes, they're likely to be made out of drywall panels mounted on wooden frames. Though drywall is easy to produce and relatively inexpensive, it takes a while to install and is not particularly sturdy and is susceptible to mold. 3D printing advocates argue that rethinking our walls is a step toward building cheaper, more resilient houses. And Don, Chad, AJ, Bud, just want your opinion. What did you think about the article? What did you think about the future of 3D printed homes? Do you think there's a future in any of this? Well, Zach, uh, I was the article blew me away. I was halfway through it, and I was already texting AJ and Chad. Because uh, these guys know way more than I do. I like to try and do projects around, but nothing like what they do. But what I keep seeing is housing prices are rising. And we're all parents here. And looking at our children going, I'm thinking, I don't know where the entry point is. How do uh, kids that are in their 20s try to afford a house that in most areas seem to be four or $500,000? And there's got to be a less expensive way to build houses. And I thought, maybe this is it. So we brought in some experts to figure out if this is the solution. I'm with you, Don. I thought the the article was very, very interesting. And it kind of, uh, I mean, it's it's a brand new idea. It's an original idea. And it was, it's something that would absolutely disrupt the, you know, the home building process. But at the same time, I'm not, I walked away just not being convinced that it was, um, you know, the wave of the future. There's a lot of rabbit holes that you could go down with respect to you know this article and there's some interesting things that we can unfold here and unpack over the next you know you know few minutes but uh there are some things that i, I question you know in, in the in, in the paragraph that zach read he talked about how you know wall building for example is the most labor intensive part of home building and you know one of the most difficult and I, i'm not positive that's true you know i i think that to carpenters on the site, and Aaron could speak more to this, and, and Bud could speak more to this. But I think you know, laying out stair stringers or laying out rafters. I mean, that seems more a lot more labor intensive than than wall building. So there's just a lot of things to take into consideration. I think as we as we ponder this idea of a 3D printed house, and is it really the wave of the future? Is it going to solve the problem like we think it will? Yeah, that's funny. That's just one of the uh, things that I saw where I wondered where the Facebook fact checkers were. Looking, looking at that article, I thought the foundation was a much, much more expensive system than the uh, the wall systems being built in a house. You know, some other things in there mentioned about drywall. So, um, yeah, I, I wondered the same thing: how much of it was was true, or what they were what they were saying. 
my biggest thing, I look at it from a labor standpoint, you know, traditionally the construction industry is made up of mom and pop type of uh, small businesses. And I don't know how feasible it is to enter into a, a home building if you're doing 3D printing and you've got to buy the 3D printed machines and equipment that that equipment looks to be hundreds of thousands of dollars and uh i I just don't see how your your average joe would start a construction company if that is the way that we go in the future i was watching a youtube video of one of these companies 3d printing a house and the first thing i just thought of was there were still a lot of laborers and workers having to sort of mind the machine, even getting the machine set up, you had to set up some big, huge uh, concrete pads and you had to set up these huge, big, you know, kind of steel poles just to get the 3D printer to work. It was surprising for me for them to say that this is actually cheaper. And I really do wonder that maybe you'd have to crank out a thousand houses in order to actually like see any kind of cost savings. They did talk about the fact that like there was a, there's less waste um, construction construction waste that maybe comes out of this if you're just kind of printing you know with this concrete have you guys ever seen a, a demonstration of a 3d printed house or has this sort of thing you know come up in our area at all i've seen it just on on youtube it it re- really reminds me guys uh i had did when i was young i did an apprenticeship in masonry and bricklaying through the bricklayers union and all the talk back in the 60s was about a bricklaying machine. And there were people I worked with who were sure that that bricklaying machine was going to take our job. But now it is here it is 55, 60 years later and nothing's happened. So I'm Did not they ever sure. Did have a machine? Yeah, they've tried to build a machine that would be successful during my lifetime. They have, as far as I know, they've. Uh, it's not been mass produced and it's not widely used that I know of, at least in this country or probably not any other countries. Do you so, know what the technical problem with it was? Could it could it only go in straight lines or did it sort of break down too quickly? All of the above. The same. It remind this. That's what I'm saying about 3D. This 3D machine uh, reminds me of of the problems with the bricklaying machine. It, set up and take down by time you factor in all the costs it was not uh simply wasn't feasible the part of the article goes into just sort of talk about maybe drywall as maybe not being one of the best materials available what do you guys say about that and one of the things they did say is that when you're using something like drywall and lumber you kind of have to do everything at 90 degree angles in terms of like the corners of the house or corners of the room, the 3d printing, it seems like it's got a lot more curves and grooves and and ideas that maybe you can work with it. Did you guys think that was, that was useful or do you guys think they were a little bit too hard on drywall as a material? I, this part I loved. Uh, when I read through it, I was like, this guy has a definite grudge against drywall. And, and I mean, it, and he goes back into his, you know, uh, his life experiences, which I thought were kind of interesting. I mean, he lived in a flood zone and, and I think he's, he said his parents' house got flooded twice from hurricanes and he, he had terrible experiences with drywall. So I get it. And he, you know, and he says that I, I love his, his challenge, you know, a million dollar reward for somebody to come up with a less durable, less health, you know, option than <laughs> drywall. And he's like, it can't be done. Right. It just can't be done. But at the same time, my, my thought is, you know, you are, kind of uh taking drywall in those particular instances you're taking drywall and, and 
you know, putting it in places where it's not intended to be, which is underwater. And, and so it's, it's, I think, I think even insurances would tell you like, yeah, flood zones are, are hazard, you know, red flag from the get go. And I think, you know, drywall makes it that way because it's not made one water. So yeah, when you apply water to drywall, it's not going to function the way you want it to, but for the rest of the purposes where it's not being flooded, I think it's, you know, it's held up just fine and, you know, stood the test of time for, it's easy to repair. It's easy to install. It, you know, it looks good. It's, you know, aesthetically pleasing, I think for most people. And so I don't know, I, I thought he was a little hard on drywall myself. My grandfather was a carpenter and he uh, ultimately worked his way up to being the foreman on veteran stadium, that terrible football stadium in Philadelphia but he hated drywall. I've heard him rant like a dozen times. Drywall's terrible. Plaster. Plaster's the way you got to do it. And I kept <laughs> thinking about that. Like, what's the alternative to drywall? I see this guy's got a grudge and maybe, yes, curved walls made by a 3D printer. But I don't know if people want curved walls other than plaster. What's the alternative to drywall? And so we do, we do curved walls that get drywalled every day in the industry. And so that's where I say it with the fact checkers. And yeah, is plaster more durable? Maybe for the first, you know, couple of years that you put it on before it gets all dried out and starts falling off the, the ceiling whenever someone walks across the second floor of the house. Um, <laughs> and then again, what are we asking of our drywall? I, I don't know when the last time I've touched the wall in my house other than to hang a picture. What are we asking our, our drywall to do for us? Can you give a sense of, you guys have all built homes. The The article talked about it being really labor intensive to hang drywall. And of course, maybe we're going to save some time with a 3D printer. It seems like maybe a 3D printer can get the walls done within a day, depending on the size. I, I don't know. Let's say we're talking a, a 1600 square foot house or something like that. How long would it take to, to put up drywall? Are they overestimating or overstating maybe how labor intensive or how long it would take to put up that much drywall? Yeah, I think so. I think a 1,600 square foot house could be drywalled in a day by an experienced crew. Be all done in a week. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, it would be mudded, taped, ready for paint at the end of the week. But you're covering, you know, four by 16 with one sheet, you know, four foot by 16 foot with one sheet of drywall. That's, you know, you get you get 10 screws in it and you can walk away from it for a second, you know, until you get the rest of them in there. And you've covered a lot of a lot of wall section, I feel. But I guess now, are we also accounting for the framing part of it and putting up all the, the two by fours that you got to attach the drywall to? I'd like to comment that they're having to do that anyway with the 3D printed houses. I don't think very many people are going to accept an interior wall that looks like those the 3D finished wall that's you know, not very desirable for most people. But it, but it's on the right point there. Do you want to have your wall look like layers of soft serve ice cream? And if you yeah, do, exactly. then sure, great. You could probably do that. But I don't know how you insulate it, one. And number two, it just, I don't think that many people want it. Yeah, if it's so appealing, why has everyone finished their basements? I mean, you're, you're basically <laughs> your basement wall before you finished it. Um, that's what you had. That's a really good point. The other question I had is insulation and how are they doing that? When I lived in Egypt, for instance, most of the apartments were just made out of just cinder block and there was no insulation and it's pretty cold in the wintertime and, and warm in the summertime. And I'm just wondering what are they doing with that? If you're, if you're kind of doing cement walls. Last video I saw of them printing um, walls, they had a cavity 
uh, I assume for plumbing, electrical, maybe heating, but they that could be filled, you know, once all the uh, mechanicals were in. Let me chime in and just say this. On Friday, I took my class on a field trip to what is maybe the closest thing to this, but still having a framed house. And uh, what that is, is the, the general contractor that I'm partnered with they're setting prefab houses. This was the first two that they've ever done. The foundation come in and panels, poured concrete with some insulation and steel stud channels on the inside of it. They lifted it in place with a crane, took a couple hours to set the footing and, or foundation, came back and then, man, I think my video is less than five minutes. They take half of a 1500 square foot house and they set it in place. They flip the roof up. Uh, after they set the second one in place, they flip the roof up and it is drywalled. The cabinets are inside of it. They've got to set some interior doors and make some repairs where the drywall is cracked a little bit. But other than that, they said that it, within 20 days, they can have that house ready to move in. The, the wiring is all in and there's two sections. And so when they set the two sections, they literally just clip wires together that are all labeled A, but, you know, 1A, 1B, 2A, 2B, and they clip them together. And so they're, they're building those walls. They lay those finished walls down on a table, drywall basically face down. And when they lift it up, the drywall is attached and cut out. So that's the closest I've been to, uh, um, I, I know it's different than 3D printed, but the closest I've been to, to trying to get fast production housing. And... Um, I had the same question. How does a guy that, you know, graduated school has went to work and learned the trades? How do, how do you start that? You know, I, I saw I was there and I definitely with no question could set those houses on those foundations. You know, they had a crane that was sitting there. The guy's making 450 an hour and you just do hand signals to him. He, he drops it within an eighth of an inch onto that foundation, you know, but how do you start that company? How do you, you know, how do we, how is that sustainable as an industry? I, I see it, you know, where big companies can monopolize and take over. Is that more the future? Would you say that people should be more concerned about in terms of mass producing a house quickly than like 3D printing that, that like kind of modular method as you're describing? Yeah, you know, I could definitely see that, you know, because the biggest challenge is like everybody, if you own a restaurant, you have the same challenge that if you own a construction business and that's finding workers. And so uh, that does take that aspect out of it. You make any contacts and have to pay a little more so he can steal the, the best tradesmen from the other builders. Um, he just has to get in with the factory. But right now in talking to the guys on Friday, there's only three factories uh, on like this side of the Mississippi river that are doing this. And so, and they're only, selling to so many uh builders right now because the supply is greater than the demand or i'm sorry the demand is greater than the supply and so it takes four days for them to build one of those houses in the factory and it's a four-month wait to get one so if he ordered one today it would be four months before he gets his house but in four days that house will be 100 like i say they drop it in place and there's a little bit of patchwork i guess i would call it to do when that house is ready I'd think about this in a little bit different way, kind of the opposite way AJ is in that I'm thinking that because they can't find enough people to build that this becomes a reasonable alternative. 
And that if you could find the people, you would want a house built by craftsmen that are in small businesses. But if you can't find that, then you go to this modular thing. And what I think of is the modular thing or a 3D printing house for that matter is just a cheaper alternative. But ultimately the big problem is we can't find people in these industries, but yet they don't want to raise the wage. And so it's kind of this weird paradox. Well, like if you paid more, you could probably get more people in the industry, but you don't want to pay more. So you'd rather find the other alternative, the modular house, the 3D printer. Does that make sense? It does. Yes. Is, is it a wage issue alone or are we not getting enough people to train? Are there not enough people being interested in learning the trades? Can you guys speak to that at all? Yeah, yeah. Uh, I we could attract more people, of course, if we had good wages or better wages. Um, but we also need the training program for them. And I'm high school is a good place to start, even lower grades. But we also need training for people who've already graduated high school and maybe want to change careers. And there's simply not many much available. So when we start getting more programs and some of it, probably if, if we don't get a decent labor force before too much longer, uh, industry may start taking more of um, a role in getting people trained for jobs and construction. That's a good point is the training people that want to change careers, because I think that, you know, me, especially working with the high school age students, it's a hard sell. Come out to my class, work outside uh, through the winter. It's nice in the summer, but, you know, we're going to have some cold days in the winter. Uh, you're going to be doing physical labor or go sit inside. We got a class that you can sit in front of a computer for two and a half hours. You can, you know, go to a robotics class for a couple hours. Um, you, you know, something that's inside and climate controlled and you're sitting in a chair. It's an easier sell for those classes, I feel like. And then I think later after they've worked in those jobs and there's a lot of personal gratification that comes with working from jobs like you turn a lumber in the house, they start looking for, a, you know, a job like this and there is no training for them. Would you say that it's it's hard to sell a younger teenager on on the building trades as you're suggesting, AJ? It's it's hard work. It's it's maybe not as comfortable as some of the other ones. But then once maybe somebody's 18, 19, kind of in the real world for a little bit, we don't really have anything to kind of maybe say, hey, did you think about this again? Um, I think sometimes people talk about trade school, and we always just think, well, hey, like we gave them an opportunity when they're 16. Do you think we're doing it wrong in terms of trying to expose kids to different trades and then and then educating them? Or do you think we should make the runway a little longer to let people experiment and come back? Yeah, I think that, you know, we're providing the I think that what makes it hard. To, and I'll use a, a Lake Orion student that I had last year as an example. He worked at a nice restaurant, a fancy restaurant, and he washed his. And he was making $20 an hour and he could work 40 hours a week or, or more, it, you know, it, they would work him as much as he wanted. And so that was pretty good money to him. I don't know what the ceiling is. And unless, you know, you can turn that into your own company where you can start making, you know, money off other people. I don't know how you, you prosper off of that. But in the interim, like right now, faced with I wash dishes for $20 an hour or I go frame houses with the Carpenters Union. I get sixteen dollars an hour. I'm at the mm -hmm. I'm at the restaurant. I work with my girlfriend, so I'm making twenty dollars an hour, chatting with my girlfriend in a kitchen, or I go work 
with a with a bunch of other dudes out here making sixteen dollars an hour. Now, in the long run, what's the what's the ceiling for dishwashing? Probably was at the ceiling. I don't know that they're going to pay more than twenty dollars an hour to wash dishes. But had you joined the carpenters union, just a journeyman's going to make thirty five dollars an hour. So after four years, he's going to make thirty five dollars an hour. And so I think just getting them to see the the long term instead of the immediate is another part of the problem. Do you find yourself having those conversations about the long term? But obviously, young kids are hard to talk about the long run with sometimes. Yeah, no, I have the conversation, but it's, it's still, you know, it's kind of your old adage. You can lead a horse to water, but you can't make them drink. So, but yeah, uh, there is no age cap on the apprenticeship schools either. I mean, it would be definitely more beneficial if you started it younger. Um, it's kind of a young man's sport out here. But, um, you know, you can go out and be 25 and decide, hey, I'd like to go back and get trained for this and, and make a future out of construction. It is still an option. But again, that's where we where we left off kind of is we can't get people that want to come out and do that. AJ, I can, thing- reti- I can retire next year at 47. They taking 47 year olds. Heck yeah. Heck yeah, they are. I got to end over there they just built a brand new facility and it's awesome too last year they moved into it and uh they they want as many students as i can send them and we go down we take a a trip every year in april and it's a it's a career fair like you bring your resume and you shake some hands there's going to be 20 to 30 different contractors here looking to hire folks really huh. and the other the other part of that is i think that we need to take a look at is not having taught in a vocational school, but in a traditional high school, like those things aren't really promoted. I don't think a whole lot. It, it, it was what's promoted is college. You need a college degree. You need to go, you know, go to a four year institution. And I don't think that's necessarily true. I mean, there are great careers to be had in, in vocation, but those, you know, those programs aren't necessarily promoted at the same rate or same pace as I think college readiness and college prep and SAT prep and, you know, all those other things. Uh, So I think you could start with, you know, the, the promotion side of it in the traditional high school as well. Why do you think that is that, that our society doesn't promote trades uh, to students? We don't really talk about them often. I think a lot of students don't even know that, trade schools and, and, and it's that it's an option for them in a lot of ways. We, we do sort of promote this track, as you said, Chad, about going to school. Why do you think it, it isn't talked about enough? And um, do you think that people sort of just look down upon the idea of, of, of taking that option instead of going to college? Can you give me any thoughts about that? Obviously, you're a guy who's built his own house and you also taught in a classroom for 25 years. Uh, any extra thoughts? Well, I, I don't know. I think just the way, you know, it's construction trades is, is a blue collar job. It's blue collar work. It's hard work. And, you know, I think parents, when they're talking to their kids, they don't always necessarily, you know, you, you want your kid to have a good life, you know, not necessarily an easy life, but, you know, a, kind of a, a white collar life in a lot of ways, I don't, whatever that means. But um, I just think that, you know, what ends up being promoted you know, in the schools is kind of a reflection of that white collar world as opposed to the blue collar world. And I think that the blue collar world has a, a lot of great career options in it with good paying career options in it that are kind of undervalued. 
do you think we should be promoting it earlier, like middle school and, and talking about it then with kids? Or do you think high school is a pretty appropriate age to start? Uh, earlier, the better. I, I think middle school would be appropriate. And I, I just, you know, our school, for example, has an auto shop, you know, to work on cars and whatnot. But there's not a there's not a wood shop or there's not a, a home building preparatory class that would might lead into, say, Aaron's class. Uh, you know, and I think that would be you know, very appropriate to have a program at the high school level or even like an eighth grade level so that you can hit the ground running, uh, you know, at a, at a vo- you know, vocational school and, and join Aaron's class with some, you know, with some skills, how to run a or how to, you know, how to lay out a wall, whatever, how to, you know, just some basic, basic skills that, you know, that you'd be able to then work on and grow at the next level. The key in there that I think, Chad, is that at my high school, there was those classes, but it was in the same building. So the bridge wasn't very far to get started. And you like the woodworking? Well, then we have this other program, too. It starts, I think, to be challenging for many kids is when we're going to a whole new building and we're going to go to a whole new situation. And maybe that's just a bridge too far for them to consider. Yeah. You have funding issues. You have personnel issues. There's a lot of red tape. I think, yeah, there is a lot of red tape. But, you know, that's that tends to be what I think holds people back as well. Yeah, and even just wanting to stay at the school because their their best friends don't go to the OTEC, so I'm going to stay at that Lake Orion because my friends are here all day. AJ, you know, I don't know. I always feel like as I get older and everybody around me gets older, all we do is talk about how the kids today are lazier. They don't want to work hard. They don't want to try things. Do you feel like it's getting harder to to recruit kids into your program or to to want to stick with you and, and, and to keep learning and stuff like that? Or do you think, no, kids are still as hardworking and as ambitious as, as I remember myself and, and others that have gone through the program, maybe, you know, when you went through it or 10 years ago? We still have ambitious kids, still have, you know, I, I'm going to be honest with you. I could stand at the front door of my building on day one and tell you, this kid's going to auto, this kid's going to computer class. Ah, there's a construction kid right there. And that's because, I mean, we stick out a little bit, but I've got the kids that they're grabbing the trusses when the trusses are set in the house and uh, they're doing pull-ups on them. So your physical kids uh, still exist in the high schools. They just aren't finding these programs. It seems like the kids that that are most successful that find our program, they have a parent that is in the industry and somehow knew about this program or perhaps even went through this program themselves and then they get into it. Um, and then a lot of the other students that we get are friends of those kids. Like, well, no, my friend Lucas is in here and he his dad owns a construction company and that's my buddy and I signed up for this class too. Sometimes they're successful as well. But no, I think there's, there's still kids that want to work hard and are, are, you know, like the physicality of it. If I was given the choice of sitting in front of a computer, like what we're doing right here for eight hours or going and working on the job site for eight hours, I would last a lot longer of a career working on a job site pounding nails. I would get frustrated and quit and go look for another gig if I had to sit in front of a computer all day. So it's the students that are just like I was when I was in school that would be great for this program, but I don't think many of them know about it. I have just two quick comments. Uh, I agree pretty much with everything you guys are saying. I, I've always been a proponent for st- uh, career exploration at the junior high level. I think it'd be really good. And uh, even to the point of some hands-on training or practice, 
some, you know, just some experimenting there. That's one thing. And then since I got in last, you've also brought up an issue that I, that's been kind of important to me throughout my career. And that was dignity of work. And that's something that's really hard for teachers to teach. But I think there's, you know, people ready to hear it. If you can tell them that uh, manual labor, uh, our society wants to look down on that. But by golly, if you can perform your your trade at a high level, uh, people will appreciate that. And so that has to be out there also. That's a really interesting point. I've never heard that before. Can you expand upon that a little bit? How should teachers maybe talk about dignity of work to kids a little bit? That, that's a really interesting point. Well, uh, Zach, I actually stole that that term from uh, some of the uh, Skills USA materials. That's the first place I really heard of it, but it it struck a chord because it it, it really do does point an issue that uh, how society views blue collar jobs, and we've already been talking about that. And so I think that uh, it goes hand in hand with with work skills. My golly. When you take your car to a garage to get it repaired, if that guy does a nice, neat job and fixes it and charges you an appropriate price and, and you go home and it works even better than it did before, you're really happy about it. Or if you bring a drywaller in to repair your wall in your house uh, and he gets in and out and does a nice job and doesn't upset the whole household, you really appreciate that as well. And and all over. I mean, we all appreciate and we need uh, plumbers, electricians, carpenters, drywallers, uh, bricklayers, all of them, you know, and uh, 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 the young people will understand that they, they can, they, and they, they see themselves in Aaron's class. I'll bet money right now, as soon as his students see themselves improving their work skills. Oh my gosh, they feel better about themselves. I taught at uh, Lapeer Vocational Center and we, one of our, every spring, we actually had to visit our sending schools and do a presentation in the auditorium about our programs. And, uh, and that was all to 10th graders because we took 11th and 12th graders back then. But uh, the, most of them had no idea what, they, what we were talking about until we explained it. But more importantly, what I saw uh, walking down the hallway of the school between classes were hundreds, maybe thousands of students were just young people that weren't excited about being there. They didn't look like they were enjoying whatever they were learning in their classes. And it always bothered me. And so it, I applied that to my own situation with what I was teaching and over and over, I saw it time and again. I, in fact, I would get counselors and parents come to me and say, my student, my son or, or daughter has never done well in math until now. They've never really got good, uh, brought home a good report card. But suddenly now they have a goal in life. They want to be a carpenter or a bricklayer or whatever. And they're, they're headed somewhere. Everything ha now has meaning to them. So it relates to that term dignity of work, okay? And stu student organizations can play a big part of that in our schools. 
I think Bud makes a real good point there. And all those jobs that he listed are absolutely essential, just as essential as a dentist. And if you gave me the choice, I would take all those jobs above being a dentist. I would never want to be in somebody's <laughs> mouth. But somehow <laughs> the dentist is far more respected. And because it's the money that goes with it, they're making right. lots and lots and lots of money. And right. I think that, I don't know if that's the chicken or the egg, but I'd rather be turning wrenches in an auto shop than I would be drilling teeth out. You know, and, and I wish that's one thing I wish they would have got back to in the article a little more other than just the process of uh, this 3D printer, you know, printing cement walls is, OK, who's your electrician that came in and had to set the electrical panel now and hook you up to, you know, the power grid? Or who's the plumber that came in and made sure everything was vented correctly so that your plumbing worked right? I mean, they didn't really just go into that, I don't think, uh, in the article a whole lot. But, I, you know, all that has to be the behind the scenes work that gets done to make this house functional. And it, that there you go. You're back to skilled trades. Is there a correlation at all with sort of the decline in union membership and people interested in the trades today? But I was wondering if you could speak about back when maybe you were getting your career started, was everybody part of a union um, with their respective trade? Uh, or is today, is is there not as many people that are part of unions but are doing the trades? Yeah, I can speak to my day. <laughs> Uh, if for training and bricklaying and my day was non-existent except for uh, apprentice programs. Bricklayers either learn the trade from their father or someone in the family and or friends uh, on the job training or and I was fortunate. I, I'm the first one to tell you I uh, started my apprenticeship. Uh, it was a three year commitment. Well, and when I started, it was 42 months, and then they dropped actually the welding segment along the way. So I actually finished in 36 months, and uh, it was pretty comprehensive for for the bricklaying trade. I'm real happy with the training I got. I can tell you people uh, in my family, my wife's family, uh, they respected a skilled trade back then. I, I think there's less respect for tradesmen today than there was back in the 60s. Yeah, I think so. Uh, but I think that's part of the, uh, a big part of what the people like Aaron have to do now is work at uh, explaining to kids how much people will respect those skills, you know, once they get them. Training is really important. Was there a lot of pressure for you to join a union then after you had had your apprenticeship? Zach, that's a good question. I worked, uh, after I finished my apprenticeship, I only worked with the union for another three or four years. And then I became a, a contractor on my own, worked on my own. Um, there was a lot of pressure. There was no pressure for me as long as I worked in residential work. But if I did any commercial construction uh i usually made a phone call to the union hall and discussed it with them so i would not have any trouble with the union uh because uh, so yeah maybe uh, the answer uh, you know both yes and no to that aj what if, for maybe a student that you have in your program who maybe kind of uh it doesn't work out for them uh for probably a variety of reasons can you give a sense of Maybe what are some of the challenges that that kids that that enter your program find that they just decide this isn't for me? 
So to be honest with you, if you show up and, and you learn what I've got going on and, and you go join the workforce, the only people that I've had that haven't been successful or the biggest barrier to being successful is working out in the elements. So I, I remember this is going back a few years now and uh, we got a student, his dad owned a cabinet shop. And so he did all interior work, you know, working with his father. And then he really liked the rough framing. We built a house together in Pontiac and he joined a carpenter's crew. And I got a call from the guy after two weeks. And he was like, I need all of the J's that you get. This kid is awesome. Like, that's what I'm looking for right there. And then he called like three weeks after that. And he's like, that kid quit. He said that he can't handle working out in the 90 degree days and that he's going to go back and work inside in the cabinet shop. And so weather has been one of the biggest barriers, I guess, or, or the one thing that's made people tap out. Even a, a, a former student that we had that um, I just had do a side job for, for a customer of mine, he went in and the same thing. He was doing the framing in the winter hit. And so opposite, and, and he said, I can't work these cold days. I'm going to be a firefighter. And he joined OCC and started going through the firefighting program. And now he's got a handyman business um, that he's running. But it, it was the, uh, the weather chased him away as well. Fire's and, nice and warm. Know, Fire's nice and warm. Yeah. <laughs> Do people hate yeah. the cold or the heat more than the other? Is, is there one harder to work through? I think it's personal, but I think the cold is harder for me. I mean, you got to just layer up and uh, you're okay if you pick the right layers, but cold hurts and heat's just uncomfortable for me. We got two more votes for cold over here as well. <laughs> and I well, go to work early in the morning. I was just going to say, leaving to go to work on days like today, which I took off today, um, but going to work on days like today, you really have to do some self-motivating um, where when you leave in the summer and it's already 70 degrees out and you've got shorts on, you don't even really need to throw a shirt on for the day. Um, you don't need much motivation. One of the things I've noticed is it seems like more and more you drive around and you might see a whole new like sub sub development coming in by a large company like Pulte where they're going to build maybe a couple hundred homes. And it seems like they've kind of got their own process where they're just going to like, you know, bang out a bunch of houses in a row. And in fact, I've lived in two neighborhoods that just sort of have these mass produced houses. And usually there's one to four different models in there. When you when you guys drive by sort of a, a development like that, are there any corners that these large corporations are cutting in their home building process? Like, is there anything that people could like look for to say, was this house done at the most quality level or was it just done with speed and therefore you're going to find these kinds of common errors? Uh, that's a great question, but it's really a tough answer or tough for like, I guess, the non-professional to look for. The only thing that, that comes to mind really, and it was a, is a I think you mentioned Pulte, there was a big Pulte um product that they had kind of developed that was a one-piece soffit and fascia that they put on a lot of uh multi-dwelling units like condos and whatnot and there was a class action suit on those and they had to pay to have contractors go back and and do it the old-fashioned way i guess or take that product off and put on a different soffit and fascia product so can't say that there really is you get into some subdivisions and if you've worked on multiple houses in there sometimes you'll pick up on things like okay the carpenter crew that came here they were totally against lookout blocks and there's not a lookout block on this house 
you know, for instance. But um, no, it, it would be kind of tough, I guess, to see if you weren't a pro where corners were cut. Jed, but yeah, I, on that? yeah, yes, just that uh, Aaron's right, but um, the large, larger companies uh, do throw some processes and, and materials in and out because you know they operate at such a high level or you know with so many different houses and i so they i in in that regard i would say they have probably an advantage over the small custom builders smaller builders because they can take advantage of big qualities and or quantities and also some of their systems that they you know they put in but i've seen some of the houses of, of big builders that are not quite up to you know they're livable people love them but there's things in there that uh some of us wouldn't want you know or missing things that some of us would want so yeah uh i working with your own builder uh a custom builder probably is going to be you know where you get a better result in the end probably be more satisfied with what your house at the end and that's you know that's a really good point and it, it kind of is with life if you go cheap you're gonna regret it you're gonna you're gonna be buying again whatever your hobby is you know if you like i'm i'm big into hunting if i buy um cheap clothing i'm not going to be able to stay out all day i'm going to freeze my tail off and have to come back in and so then now i've bought twice because i bought the cheap stuff and now because i'm not going to give up the hobby i've got to go get the better piece of clothing so i can set out there all day and now it's really expensive because i've already thrown away the cheap one it's the same with construction you can you can cut the corner and you can get the cheap guy to come do the work for you and you're gonna have the dollar store type of results um we, we partner at the school uh we've got an advisory board and the uh, president of our advisory board he builds luxury houses starting at a couple million dollars and up nothing under that and when i go into those houses the level of detail that they pay to the smallest things, like just straightening out every stud in the wall um, before they drywall it in numerous other, just very close at, uh, attention to detail that they pay. It really, I mean, it makes me smile looking at it. Like, okay, I got to up my game. There's people out here doing this, you know? And then there's other where you walk in and you're like, Ooh, some of the subsidized housing, you know, we build subsidized housing in Pontiac. We used to do it on site. And there would be a crew next to us building and I would look at their houses sometimes and just kind of shake my head and like, I'm glad that I'm not going to live there. But the accountability is not there. That's the thing. Like I replaced all the windows in my house a few years ago and I pulled out the old ones, no insulation, none anywhere. And I was like, I was shaking <laughs> my fist at somebody that put them in in 1976. Well, I'm sure that guy is not, not feeling shameful now. If he's still around, he's probably like, I made my money and I got out and I didn't even know to replace them and then did it right. You know, Aaron threw out a term too, which I thought was kind of interesting, which was working with the builder. And I tell you what, it, it, just having gone through the process of building my own house, I mean, what a great thing to be in constant communication because changes come up. Like, you know, we, we had, and Aaron can probably remember this. I remember my wife walking through one of the first times after getting the house framed and we had tall ceilings, but we had one, you know, one doorway that went into the sunroom, which was kind of a standard height. But she was like, my gosh, wouldn't it be great to have that all the way up at the top, you know, put the header at the top, you'd be able to see into the side, just kind of open the whole place up. And 
it was a change that we had to make after the fact, but and talking with Aaron, he's like, yeah, well, that's, if you're going to do it, do it now type thing. And so we were able to make that change. And the same thing happened with one of the bedrooms. She wanted a, a, a window on a wall that kind of faced uh, from a, to a, you know, out of walkout. And it was like, yeah, looking back, what a great thing we did in, in adding that window. But I'm not sure, you know, how easy that is to do with 3d printed houses, for example, or whatever. But if you're working with a good builder that you're in constant communication with and so on, and you can, you kind of customize those things and kind of get them the way you want and at the appropriate time to do it, which is at the building phase. I had that experience too, Chad, when we had our house built in California, my friend built it and uh, we got there and we looked at the, uh, after the concrete had been poured, because the way they do it out in the deserts, they just pour, they put the plumbing in, then pour a, sa- a slab on top of the plumbing and then they just frame it in stucco. But um, I, we noticed like, there's no back porch, all the sun in the desert is going to bear it on these windows. And we're like, Hey, can we do a porch? He's like, yeah, let's do it now. It'll take an extra three days, but we can do it. And it's easy. Otherwise afterwards, it's a nightmare. So yeah, right. if you see it coming, it's important. Exactly. Exactly. And that was one of my big questions with the article too, is with 3d printed housing. I mean, you've, you've set the program up to this architectural design and whatnot. And life happens. What happens when uh, I need to add a bathroom or when I need, I mean, I just wonder how easy it is to remodel a 3d printed house. Uh, you know, they didn't discuss that <laughs> at all, uh, but it, it, it happens all the time. People are constantly remodeling, but how easy is that going to be in a 3d printed house? That's a really good point, Ted. Yeah. Or just hang a television on the wall. I mean, uh, you know, <laughs> I mean, I did, that's more my like thing. I guess I would think of as I just put a TV on the wall, but there's you don't have any studs to just drill into. No, yeah, it 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 totally is going to change uh, the way you're going to have to think about things and operate. So, my parents live in a in a house that's, oh, geez, getting close to 150 years old, and they've remodeled it a couple times and stuff like that. But whenever you guys walk through older homes, is there anything that you marvel at in terms of the technique or the materials that were maybe used a while ago that you just don't see that technique or those materials today, either for the positive or the negative? I always marvel at the trim work. Yeah, two things I was going to say is the trim work and the masonry work. Yeah, both of those, I would say. But the trim work, I don't think you can get... It's so more, so much more, or it seems to be more ornate. And uh, I, I, I don't know. I guess the words escape me, but a lot more difficult to to pull off. And then you know the, the wide. A lot of times it's wider boards, which is now expensive today to do. You know, but back then it was more feasible. But the, yeah, just the craftsmanship in general. Craftsmanship is amazing. Not only the craftsmanship, but the material. We see some lumber in the older houses that's clear and just beautiful grained wood that you know we don't get much of i mean you pay really a long dollar today but the other thing is that uh the craftsmen did that with two with tools people today have not even seen i i know um my grandfather i helped my grandfather on a house i actually did bricks for him but he was cutting some trim on a victorian house in a small town in northern lapeer county back in the late 60s and by golly he he sure he, he didn't have any power tools well he did have a circular saw but he 
mostly kept it in its box in the trunk of his car even. So, um, but he really, the, it's amazing. The hand saws, the chisels, um, the woodwork that the, those craftsmen did in those days, you can't help but just really appreciate it when you go through old houses. Yeah, I was just going to say, I don't think that there was the rush back then, you know, to get the job done. I think it was more the, the finished product in mind, mm -hmm. it, you know, where now it's like, no, we need this house and we need it done in, in two months. And we want to have, have the CFO in 90 days or whatever. And so it's just everything's under a timeline. And then we want everything as cheap as we can have it, too. Is there anything that old houses have, maybe you've had to go in and do a remodel, that's just an absolute pain, something they use that uh, just really makes it difficult for you to do the job. Yeah, Don's grandpa's favorite, plaster. <laughs> yeah, that was what came through my mind too, laugh. The laugh behind yeah. the plaster to tear all that up. Obviously, we've been continuing to chew down forests at a pretty qu uh, quick rate. And is the kind of wood that you're working with today the same type of wood people were using 20, 30 years ago, are you noticing if it structurally can't support the kind of weight and stuff like that, that maybe older types are, is it harder to get certain types of woods? So in my construction career, we went from building with two by fours to two by sixes. So every house we're using more, more lumber on now than what we were back when I first started. And I've been doing this, you know, professionally since uh, 1999 and, um, I don't notice a difference in like the grain where I've seen people, you know, on Instagram that show a stud from a hundred year old house that they pulled out and the, the annular rings are really close together and they show the ones that we have now and they're further apart. That's probably because they're planting a, a, a species that grows faster so that it's more sustainable, I would think. Um, but no, we're, we're using more lumber to build a house now for energy efficiency. Okay. So it's an energy efficiency thing to have. Thick, bigger pieces and stuff like that yeah the two by four structurally can hold it but you can you're, you're limited at how much you can insulate those walls and so now they've changed the r value where you know when i first started it an r13 was fine and they can do that in a two by four wall and now they need an r19 which we stick our 21 in there uh, and that's a two by six wall to, to get that capacity yeah i just aaron's right and Look, guys, and just over my lifetime, uh, in most cases, uh, probably in, in, in by far the most cases, year by year, our houses are built better. The article didn't like our houses so much, but they're referring to, I think, I, I don't know, I'm a little bit confused by them, but uh, they're worried about housing for homeless people, and, and nobody's going to let a... Any of these big builders like Lennar, my gosh, they could turn out thousands of small uh, one, two bedroom or one bedroom, you know, three room houses for homeless people. I mean, uh, almost, you know, they're small houses. I know that you hear about it, but they could do thousands of those really fast. So it's not really fair to, you know, I thought that they were really hard on the industry and I think that's wrong. Uh, even small builders could turn out the small houses quickly if society would permit it, but they, they're not going to. Most townships have re building restrictions on how small a house you can build. So it, it's a social issue that they bring up that I think is unfair that the builders take a rap for it. I know that they, they're saying there's a need for builders, but oh my gosh, our, 
these are difficult times. We just came out of uh, 2008. We lost all of our tradesmen because there was virtually no work for a period of years. And then uh, right after we started get, trying to get back to normal, then COVID hits and that didn't help anybody's situation. So it's just difficult times. And then a little bit on, in my take guys, I thought it was a little bit unfair of an article. Well, and the build, the builders aren't the only ones that could be responsible. I imagine the permitting expend inspections are the same for a small house than they are for a big house. So if I'm a builder, I'd rather make the big house where I can make more profit than the small house where I may even just break even and still have to do the same amount of paperwork. Is that right, AJ? That's how I feel. Um, you know, there's square footage minimums i built houses for pontiac with my class and even in pontiac you can't build anything under 1200 square feet so that's not a small house it's not a cheap house to build it's over you know twenty five thousand dollars for the framing package for a house set that size uh so it's not really affordable housing i thought dad also brought up a good point and i wrote it i wrote this down as a note as well is the social issue it's not just the builders aspect of it but there is a housing crisis. There's no question, especially in some of the old cities where people want to move to. But a lot of it can, you know, you know, is tax based. You know, uh, what drives up the cost of housing is is taxes, rising interest rates to be able to, you know, to fund, you know, to purchase the house, mortgage rates, and so on. So I think there's a lot more factors that they could have brought in that they didn't. Is there any truth to the idea that you see the headlines? There's not enough houses in America. There's a real shortage, but. If you're a large home builder or if you're just a, uh, a a small builder, do you actually kind of like the idea that there's a shortage knowing that if you do build something, it will most likely get bought? And two, it keeps the prices of everything higher. Yeah, yeah. supply and demand is always the rule, right? But, I, you know, it's funny they say that. And I look around like the numbers uh, of population, like look at Detroit, it was over a million, and now for the last well, two, probably close to two decades, it's been under a million. No one wants to live in Detroit, but there shouldn't be a housing uh, shortage there. Same thing in Pontiac, where I'm building houses with a school. Um, the population has declined so much that they only have one high school instead of two now. All the houses, you know, I mean, some of the lots have been cleared and we build new ones. So there's not really a, a housing shortage there if, if the population is less than what it was. So I, I hear that a lot, but I don't see it a lot, I guess. Is that the reason? I guess, I don't know, maybe this isn't even the right thing to say, but is a housing shortage why we have homeless people? I don't think that is. No, it's not. I agree here. Well, I I question the uh, shortages too. I really do. Maybe in Austin, you know, down here, the builders are building as fast as they can, you know, thousands yeah. of houses, apartments, but. Yeah, there's a housing shortage in Birmingham and Royal Oak and, and the places where everybody wants to be, but you, they're, they're not going to be able to put affordable housing there anyway, because of the standard that you have. Yeah. Well, then uh, I guess just to sort of wrap up things, what do you think about the future 20 years from now? Do you think we're going to see more 3D printing or do you think this is just like a fad? I mean, I, 10 years ago, we all thought we'd be in autonomous cars right now. And that looks like that's never coming anytime soon. Five years ago, everybody said we were going to be eating uh, fake meat or impossible burgers. And it looks like nobody's really eating those anymore. <laughs> is it possible that just you know, hey, 3D printed houses sound sexy. It looks cool. 
but in terms of actually being something that disrupts the industry, not so much. What do you guys think? Do you think we'll see more or less of it? Less, I'm for sure. Oh, let me say this. I, I think less of 3D houses, the wall system they're trying to do. I don't think that's going to work. But lots of the parts of the house, a lot of components, I, they're going to use it. 3D printing is here for uh, other items other than house walls. Oh, what what do you think they'll be using it for? Oh, my gosh. Everything from roof vents to thermostats, probably. I I, I mean... Think of all of the things that are we use in a house. My gosh, a lot of that stuff can be, in my mind. You guys maybe think differently, but I, I, I would be. Would I think we'd be naive if we thought that uh, it was three D printing wasn't going to. You know, there's a, there's a place for it, and I'm sure a lot of these uh, suppliers are looking at you know ways they can use it. And it probably is just going to take time. I wouldn't be surprised if some things weren't already being done by 3D printing. I could see it more used, maybe not for a home, but certainly for, I think it might even be more popular as like a, a, a viable option for an outbuilding, but how do you set up for that and do just an outbuild? I, I mean, I don't know. Those are all things that are going to have to be worked out in the future, but it would be more of a simple process. But I agree. I think it's 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 got its place. I'm not sure that it's, it's the game changer and the industry upsetter that, you know, that they're talking about in the article though. Yeah, I agree. I think if you're building houses right now, you don't have to worry about this taking your job. Um, but I do think that it's going to go up. I think there's going to be more of it. And I think that there's, you know, other, other needs for it. And like the house that I was talking about where we were Friday that they set in a matter of minutes, um, they said that the, the government buys a lot of those and sets up a lot of those and they're moving some from North Dakota uh, down to, um, I, I want to say, Texas to the border right now to set up for, for housing for the, the immigrants. And so there's places for it. I just don't think that it's going to you know crash the uh, residential construction market. AJ, if Pulte or one of these 3D printing home companies said, hey, we want more people to be knowledgeable about 3D printing and the process, and we want to offer a certification program. Maybe we're a one or two month thing. We want to, we want to pay you to get trained in how to do this. Would you have any interest in learning more about the process or, or how you'd work with it? Or is that something that somebody else can, uh, can do? I still have long enough left that I couldn't say no to it. Um, you know, I've got to, part of my responsibility in training a workforce is training the workforce for the work that's going to be available and so if that's where it's going, then yes, I would have to do that. Well, Don, any other final thoughts or uh, comments, questions? Hey, I'm glad we brought in a panel of experts because they came up with some insights that I wouldn't have come up with. And I think all valid, all points here are valid. 100%. I definitely learned a lot. And Chad, AJ, Bud, do you guys have any final uh, comments on anything we've talked about from 3D printing to uh, trade schools and um, and just the building profession in general? No, I think you pretty well covered it, Zach. Uh, great conversation. Yeah, I feel, I feel like we've left it all out there. I appreciate you guys having me on. Yep. I just say keep up the good work, you guys. <laughs> appreciate it. 
Well, Chad, AJ, Bud, thank you so much for taking time out of your busy schedules to join us and just share your thoughts. We've definitely learned a lot. And Don, it's been a pleasure talking to you this week, and I look forward to talking with you next week. Absolutely. Thank you, fellas. Have a good one. Thank you.